Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 80 of the Practicology Podcast. And this is episode number one of our 2022 August Summer Challenge, where we are going through Ephesians chapter one. And we're glad that you've joined us today. We've already had one sister write in to say that she's completed the memory work, all of Ephesians chapter one, in fact. So now she's looking forward to meditating on these scriptures and trying to understand them more and enjoy them. And we're going to try and help her and you enjoy these scriptures more. I've also been working on memorizing Ephesians chapter one. I know Mike is as well. Mike, good to have you with us here. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, it seems the sisters have a jump on some of us. Uh, Two Sundays ago, I heard that another sister had started early. So I asked her on the spot to recite and she got through the first half of the chapter uh, right there. So good on her. So then the big question is, can you, Mike, say the portion for week number one right here, right now on the spot? Oh boy. Uh, well, let me try. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to open my Bible to make sure you're doing well. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved." Fantastic, word perfect, good job, and under pressure as well. Very impressive. I'm going to keep you on the hot seat here for a little bit more, Mike. The words you recited there in verse number four of Ephesians chapter one talk about God choosing us. So this brings up the doctrine of election that people just love to talk about and want to know what you think about it. People have got lots of questions about the doctrine of election. So what I'm going to do in this episode, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to fire a bunch of hard questions at you about election and see how well you do at answering them. Well, I'm fine with that, but I do have one condition. Sounds a little bit like conditional election, but what are you thinking? <laughs> well, uh, no, but I do have a condition for how we talk about election. Um, and that is that both of us get the questions and the answers to those questions from scripture, from specifically this passage in Ephesians 1. All right, I guess that's fair. That's, uh, that's a little bit like we're putting the Apostle Paul on the hot seat, but I think he's up to it. And so I will agree to your condition. Now, of course, Paul is writing these words with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the truth of election goes far beyond what any human mind can comprehend. I think we should all admit that even, even when we recognize there's diversity of belief about this subject. So it is definitely going to be best to stay close to the text. And it does seem that in this passage, Paul's not only teaching us answers to our questions about election but he's also giving us a little guidance as to what questions we should ask. So here's here's the obvious question to start with, a basic question. What is election? Yeah, so the short answer is that election, or God's choice, is a blessing to praise God for, not a debate to fight Christians over. So notice the connection between verses 3 and 4. He opens verse 3 saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing so that's verse three bless god for blessing us with a whole bunch of blessings well what are those spiritual blessings well that's what he begins to unravel in verse four the first one right out of the gate is that he chose us and this is really important for us to see 
that election is a blessing for which we are to praise God. We're to bless him. He, We bless him because he blessed us with blessings. And one of those blessings, the first one on the list, is that he chose us. I went to a local church once and preached this passage there. And a godly and very highly respected woman in the assembly came up to me after and said that that was the first time she'd ever heard election spoken of highly in her life. And this woman was in her 70s at least, if, if not her 80s. And, and that's tragic. An entire lifetime in the church and not once a message speaking positively about how God chose us. She didn't say that she'd never heard the doctrine of election spoken about at all. But presumably, whenever she did hear it, it was, some, it was always something to apologize for, something to explain away or defend or to heavily qualify so that no one gets too carried away with it. But we are supposed to get carried away with this doctrine, carried away into praise. After all, it's one of our Father's good blessings designed to make us bless and praise him in return. In fact, we can say it this way. Election is one of the triune God's blessings to us. The long answer to your question, Matthew, is that election is a blessing of the Holy Spirit given to us by the Father through his Son. So just quickly, verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father, right? So it's the Father who has blessed us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Spiritual here doesn't mean like the opposite of physical. In chapter 5, it talks about spiritual songs, and that doesn't mean they're non-physical songs. It means they're songs pertaining to the Holy Spirit. And so the Father has conferred on us every one of the Holy Spirit's blessings. So we have the Father, we have the Spirit, but then notice he's blessed us in Christ. So that's why we say election is a blessing from the triune God given to us by the Father. It's a blessing of the Spirit, and it's given to us through his Son. I like how you started that as something that we are to enjoy and not fight over. And that example that you gave of that sister in the local church you visited is is valuable. It just when I read about election in the New Testament, whether it's here or I think of Romans eight, I think of First Thessalonians one, I think of First Peter one. In all of those passages, the Holy Spirit gives those words to encourage and comfort God's people. Wouldn't you say that's the purpose of Him bringing up this doctrine? Yeah, it seems like Paul never imagined. Well, maybe that's not quite true, but. But yes, when he's speaking to Christians, he's always assuming this is really going to comfort and encourage God's people. All right. So question two, and maybe this is going to sound a little bit strange, but I'm keeping to my end of the deal. I'm going to try and take all my questions from the text. So here's the next question. Where did God choose me? Where did God do his electing? That is a very strange question, but it does come straight from the passage. Where did God choose me? He chose us in Christ. This is verse four now. He chose us in Christ. Christ is the place. He's the sphere or the location where God chose us. So that's a, a clear enough answer in one sense because it's it says it exactly like that in the text. But you're going to have to tease that out a little bit more in a minute because that's still a little bit of a strange way to, to put it, to say that Christ is the place or the sphere in which God chose us. But just before I give you that opportunity, some people, when, when this verse comes up, Mike, they're going to be quick to point out what the verse doesn't say. It does not say God chose us to be in Christ. And in saying that, they're suggesting that God's election doesn't have anything to do with our initial salvation. So they say it again. Paul is not saying that God chose us to be in Christ. It says he chose us in Christ. What do you say to that? 
Well, I appreciate that observation. And maybe some people, when they've taught on this verse, they have almost assumed that the verse does have those words. But you're right, that the verse does not say that God chose us to be in Christ. But but what does it say? It still says he chose us, right? He chose us. He selected us. The fact that the verse does not say that he chose us to be in Christ does not negate the fact that he still did select and choose us. So now let's come back to uh, what it means that God chose us in Christ. My wife and I got engaged in a pretty special place uh, in Devon, England, um, at a point called Spray Point near Tynmouth. And before COVID, we had the privilege of taking our four girls there. And we actually relived the story with them. We kind of walked through the whole story and uh, we were able to point to the exact spot. And if it's not too much of a stretch, we were basically saying this to our kids. We were saying, this is where mommy chose daddy. This is where daddy chose mommy. And in this verse, it's like God is saying to us, uh, to his children, he's saying, I can take you right to the spot where I chose you. It was right here. I chose you in my son, the ultimate chosen one. That's where I chose you. That's a good story. I don't think I'm going to try and reenact Esther and I's story with with our children because it involved a bit of a long and difficult walk, but that's a story for another time. But uh, in telling us where he chose us here in Ephesians 1, is God also telling us how he chose us? I mean, that example you just gave when you told your daughters where you got engaged, you were sort of also telling them how it happened. So could it be the same with God's choosing us? Yeah, I think that's exactly what Paul is saying in this language. You can ask a married couple where they got engaged, or you can ask them how they got engaged. No matter which way you ask it, you're going to get the same answer. And it's the same with God's choosing us. To ask him where he chose us means asking him how he chose us. Well, how did he choose us? He chose us in Christ. He chose us on the basis of Christ. His choosing us would become effective through the work that Christ would accomplish much later at the cross. So all of God's blessings, including even the blessing of election, it comes to us through Christ. I think that's a really helpful answer. I like how you've explained that, and I'd encourage our listeners just to hit that little button that lets you go back 15 seconds to hear that again as to how and where God chose us. But that's going to take us to question three. When did God choose us? Well, in some ways, this question is easier to understand than the where question. At the same time though, will we ever really understand it? Because the answer to when God chose us is that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's when. Before we chose him, before we were even born, before our ancestors were born, before the stars were born, before anything was born, when did God choose us? In the time before there was time. And it's as if all the rest of creation, you know, the earth, the stars, oxygen, it's as if all the rest of creation was created just so that there could be a stage on which God could reveal his grace to you. God created creation as a means to his higher end of making you, saving you, and revealing himself in love to you. Amen. I love that final couple sentences there too, Mike. And the timing of God's choosing is very important because it emphasizes the gracious nature of his choice. He chose us before we did anything. His choice then has nothing to do with our merit. It doesn't rest at all on our conduct. It wasn't that we started to show some promise 
And so therefore God chose us. No, and it's it's not that we were beginning to take some interest in him. And so he reciprocated with kindness to us. It can't be that because as you said, it's before the foundation of the world. Yeah, and that shows us how secure our relationship to him is. Uh, I suppose if he chose us after we started showing some spiritual potential, we'd always wonder if he'd still want us if we started underperforming, which happens fairly often in my life. But the fact is, he chose before we had done anything, whether good or evil. All right, you're doing well with these textual answers so far. I recognize we're not satisfying everybody's curiosities today. We're just sticking here to Ephesians 1. I know there's some bigger philosophical, theological questions that arise out of this, but uh, not really going there today. But just think about what we've got here in Ephesians 1 a little bit more. We've talked about what election is. It's a blessing where or how God shows us. He did so in Christ when he chose us before time began. Why did God choose us? And again, I'm, I'm looking straight at the scripture here of Ephesians 1. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. I guess I'm getting the answer here that we should be holy and blameless before him. Yeah, that clause is giving us the purpose for which God chose us. Uh, Matthew, maybe you've heard David Gooding illustrate what this phrase means. Um, but I'll just put it in my own words. It's like when we work hard on a project in our home, and then when everything's finished, we sit down and gaze joyfully at what we've made. We have a Marie Kondo moment. The, the finished project is before us in its splendor and perfection, and we sit there maybe with a cup of tea and or coffee, and we enjoy it. We take pleasure in it. For me, this was a rental we did in, in my study at home. It used to be a depressing mess, and one afternoon, my, my wife walked by and said, let's tackle it. So we took out all the books and shelves. We painted, installed new bookcases, hung up some artwork, built a ledge, uh, added a, a sitting chair. And when it was all done, Helen would find me just sitting there and enjoying it. Yeah, well, as we're recording this, we are actually doing this in person. We're both here in Halifax. Mike is in my office and he can see that I'm I'm actually having a reverse moment right now. He's been here when my office did look nice and encouraging and... Uh, Right now, I've got things packed up, and it is absolute chaos. We're surrounded by boxes and mess, but so be it. So we're not quite at the point. We, we do have our tea, mind you, don't we? Yes, we do. And we do have the doctrine of election to uphold us during this uh, stressful environment. But why did God choose us? Well, so that for all eternity, he could have us before him, so that he could gaze at us and take unending pride and pleasure in his work of grace in our lives. Well, that does bring us joy, Mike. I'm glad he wants us to be before him, holy and blameless. I'm glad that's his purpose that he's working towards. And and I'm also glad that God isn't going to, you know, after a little while, um, find no joy in us and then just discard us. That's not the way he works with us. But I've got two more questions for you, Mike, here. Question number five. What does God's choosing us have to do with his predestining us or predestinating us because the next verse says that in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace so how do you relate election and predestination yeah you're right they are related in fact they are theological cousins and the grammar in greek makes it clear that they are related paul wants us to relate the two of them the main verb in verse 4 is that god chose us and this part in verse 5 about God predestining us is a participle that modifies the main action. So it's it's like this. God chose us in Christ in love predestining us. 
it's like God's choosing us as a beautiful diamond. And now in verse 5, Paul turns the diamond around a little, and he enjoys it from a slightly different angle. Yeah, and when I do compare other scriptures on the subject of election, it does seem that the emphasis in the truth about election is God choosing persons, whereas the emphasis with predestination is God highlighting our purpose or our destiny. So I'm saying election is emphasizing whom God chose and predestination is emphasizing what he chose them for, what he predestined us for. And in our case, hey, the answer here is is breathtaking. God has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Yeah, I appreciate how you said that. Um, it's, it's a question of emphasis. And though there is a different emphasis, yet we still see how similar predestination is to election. Just notice the parallels. Uh, both are done before time. He, we are chosen before the foundation of the world. And then um, the next verse says he predestined us. That pre, uh, again, highlights that this is long ago before time. We are the objects of both. He chose us and predestined us. Um, compare the verses further. You'll see that both are in or through Jesus Christ. He chose us in Christ. He predestined us through Jesus Christ. And both are for God himself. He chose us so that we would be before him for his pleasure. And then verse 5, he predestined us, it says, for himself. He predestined us for adoption to himself. So these are theological cousins. But yes, I agree. Predestination emphasizes the purpose he chose us for. It's to be his adopted sons. I wish we had more time to talk about this because it is awesome. In Greco-Roman culture, a man of social importance could adopt a promising young man, maybe a distant relative of his, to be his son, and he would do this to make the son his heir. All that the man owned would pass on to the son, and the son would carry on the rule of the father in, in the man's place. So this was an action that bestowed great honor and dignity. And and Steve Baugh, uh, you know, kind of highlights this background info but then he, he, he makes a comment on God's election and predestination and adoption. And he says, these stupendous acts of divine grace uh, spoken of here in Ephesians, they have no parallel in Greco-Roman society. It surpasses even the unthinkable idea of the Roman emperor adopting a slave from the most barbaric hinterlands to be the next emperor. It is no wonder that Paul exalts in praise of the glory of his grace, which he bestowed on us in his beloved. Very good. And one last question that I'd say that the text is asking and answering, with what tone did God choose us? With what tone? In, in what manner did he choose us? Again, to some of us, the doctrine of election has a very arbitrary kind of a cold feel to it. It's like God spins the wheel and as luck would have it, the arrow landed on me. Well, what is Ephesians 1 teaching us? This is a great question to end on. It's my favorite question of the bunch that you've come up with so far, Matthew. Um, God has so written these verses to make sure that we don't go away with that kind of thinking. That we don't go away thinking that his electing was done arbitrarily or randomly or, or coldly. Notice that verses 5 to 6 are wrapped in love. How did he choose and predestine us? It says, in love he predestined us. And then look at the end of verse 6. It says, in the beloved, the, the grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is the one that he loves. So verses five to six are wrapped in love. He chose us in Christ. He predestined us through Christ. He blessed us in the beloved. God didn't choose us coldly. He chose us warmly in the son of his love. God didn't pull names out of a hat 
or code an algorithm or design a random selection formula in an Excel spreadsheet. No, he chose us personally and intimately in Christ so that we could be before him as his adopted heirs. And verse 5 adds that he predestined us according to the purpose of his will. So the word purpose can also be translated as pleasure. The choices God made of us and for us in eternity past them were choices that he made according to the pleasure of his will. He chose us and pre-planned that we would get to be his sons and heirs with joy. God took pleasure in this. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, just like parents relish planning a wonderful surprise for their children, so God relished choosing us and predestining us to a glorious future. Well, Mike, finish us off here with a little bit of practical consequence to all this. It's pretty clear in the text of verse 6, one of the consequences anyway, that he, he did all this for us to the praise of his glorious grace. Yeah, which goes along perfectly with verse 3. Remember, it says, Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with all these blessings, including the blessings of election and sonship. Why did God bless us with these blessings of the Spirit? So that we would praise the glory of his grace. So, so how do we apply these verses and doctrines? Well, we apply them by receiving them, by believing them, by enjoying them, feasting on them, and then responding to God's matchless grace with praise. But I just want to point out one other practical takeaway from all this. Uh, Matthew, we live in the day of the self. Some have called it the sovereign self, where the highest good in our culture seems to be to, to choose your own self, to name yourself, to bestow on your own self um, honor and dignity, to determine your own self, where to be self-determining. And I hope that as we look at this passage, we can see there's something so much better. Like, really? There's something better than choosing ourself, right? It's being chosen. And so this is our identity as Christians. We are not self-made men and women. We receive our identity from another. We, we receive chosenness from another, from one who is eternal and sovereign and infinite in worth. He has bestowed his favor and grace to us. Who are we? Who are you? You are chosen in Christ. You are an adopted son or daughter in Christ. You were chosen from eternity to be before the king in perfect holiness. You were predestined to be the sons of the father. Well, thank you, Mike. And thank you, everybody, for listening to these words today. Maybe for some of you, it wasn't uh, quite as controversial as you might have hoped. For some of the rest of you, <laughs> maybe, maybe Mike has raised your blood pressure a little bit. But what we do want to learn from this is that According to scripture, this is a subject that is supposed to bring us joy and it's supposed to lead to our praising God. And I hope as you meditate further on Ephesians 1 that that's going to be a consequence in your life. I know there's all sorts of other types of elections around us at times, aren't there? And it can, it can wear us down. And here in Canada, we can have elections called early. And for our friends in the States, I know you've got, you've got midterm elections and other elections. It seems like there's a constant election cycle. Here's an election that we shouldn't tire of hearing about as far as its purpose of being presented in the scripture. God has given us this truth that we may rejoice and praise him for his glorious grace. Yeah, and um, even though we don't always talk about election in a balanced way, scripture always does. And so let me just finish by pointing out that in verse 13, Paul mentions our faith, right? He says, 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So here in the very same passage of scripture, we do have the two together, don't we? We have God's choice of us, but then we also have our responsibility to to respond in faith. And that's how scripture always does this. It always groups the two together, doesn't maybe show us how they fit together, but the key for us, the responsibility for us is to believe both of them. We must believe God chose us and we must believe uh, in, in the necessity of our faith response to him. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility placed side by side time and time again in scripture. Thanks for listening today. We hope you are enjoying Ephesians chapter one. We're going to look at verses seven to 10 in our next episode. And we hope you'll join us again then. Thanks for listening.